Hi, and thank you for listening to this episode of Media Mystic. I'm your host, Kristen Harlow. Today, I sit down with medium and therapist Annabelle Perez-Gonzalez to discuss the experience of being a medium and a therapist and the way that those two modalities intersect, as well as the experience of having a crisis point in life, an experience in life that leads to great loss, but then somehow opens one to one's spiritual gifts in incredible ways, and so much more. It was an incredible conversation, and I really hope you enjoy. I'm so glad that you sat down with me today. Um, uh, you you are a a trans channel, a trans medium, and um, a certified therapist. Yeah, and yeah, and I the the thing that really interests me about that is the the connection between the two. You know, like where the twain shall meet, and and one of the things that it it makes me think of is um is Carl Jung who I'm I'm very interested in um in his esoteric side also his analytical scientific side and and how the two met um and so so basically just to give a little background about what I mean and how this applies to you um he, as you probably know, was a protege of Sigmund Freud. They were very close. It was like a father-son relationship. Um, Jung was poised to take over Freud's uh, position as, you know, father of analytics. And, um, and then they had a bit of a falling out because of some philosophical differences. And when that falling out occurred, it was a huge loss to Jung. He it, it was more than just a professional loss. It was an enormous personal loss. And he uh, descended into what I would call um, the descent into grief. Um, he he had an incredible spiritual awakening during this process of a few years after the loss of Freud um, as a mentor and started to experience and ha have incre incredible visionary experiences, um, started to uh, have psychic and paranormal experiences that that his family attested to and witnessed many times he had uh, a, a prophecy of world war ii he saw the whole thing happen when he was taking a walk in the woods one day way before it did even before it was a twinkle in its mother's eye mm -hmm. um and um he uh apparently one day there was a knock on the door of the family home very loud knock that was disturbing and they they went to answer it and no one was there. And then Jung started to hear a voice like on the spot that the uh, dead of Jerusalem were going to come to him and ask him questions and expect answers from him. And that led to um, the Seven Sermons to the Dead, I think is the name of the book. And in that book, he talked about the process of individuation from the one, from the all that is. And that that theory and that philosophy, I'm pretty sure that's what he talked about in that book. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it was partially about. 
but that that philosophy of individuation and then of remerging is very similar to um, hermeticism and Gnosticism, which is something that he was very interested in Gnostic um, faith. And so I bring all this up because I'm I'm curious about your own process of mediumship, of coming to your um, understanding of your own mediumship, and then also the process of being scientifically minded, of being uh, a, a therapist, working with clients, and how the two meet, how they relate, which came first. I bet it was mediumship, but did, did it, were you open to it? before you became a therapist. I think it was the same for Jung. I think he probably also was in touch with his spiritual side, of course, before any of this happened, but I don't know that he was fully present with it until after. So yeah, that, that's what I'm curious about with you. What do you have to say to that? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Um, well, I, I don't know much about Jung, to be mm -hmm. honest. You know, obviously that esoteric side is not something they train you on in grad school. Um, my mediumship, the, the first time that I started to have like psychic experiences and things like that was as early as 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And, and it was in the context of growing up in this family that was atheistic. Like I never, there was no religion instilled in me, no spiritual belief, no nothing. And it, so it was just the phenomenon of my mother coming to me and saying, Hey, Annabelle, guess what? And my 10 year old little girl, me would have a vision and see it. I'd mm. see the what. And then I'd say, Oh, this is what so and so got a new cat. Oh, who told you? No one told me I didn't like, I saw wow. it. I just saw it. So things like that would start to happen when I was 10. And I had no, no framework to make sense of it. No, nothing to make sense of it. No mentors, no guidance. Um, so after, you know, so I, when I was a kid and I was questioning if there was a God or not, I, I, I turned more atheistic. I really, I became very, very skeptical. And I, I am still very much a skeptical person. Um, when I was a, a young teenager, about 13 years old, in the middle of this crisis and seeking spiritual answers, I came across, uh, a, a, I was part of a friend group in junior high school and one of their parents, one of their moms, was this incredible medium. Mm. And I, so at 13, I started spending a lot of time there and I was, you know, there every day. I was there through my entire adolescence, learning how this woman practiced and seeing her practice. <gasps> and it, I mean, she was incredible. She was a trans medium. She was, had all the clairs. She was an incredible healer. The things we saw in her house, the things we heard, the things we experienced, it was like, it was unlike anything. And, and what are some of those things? my goodness um she would smoke cigarettes and then like shapes of people would appear from her cigarette smoke wow um yeah there there were sometimes some things that happened during the middle of the night like when you were sleeping in the wrong place like <gasps> someone would come and kick you like and then no one was there um yeah it it was it was a it was a space where the 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 line between the dead and the living was very thin mm-hmm very thin um and and it was as if they it was just part of the family it was just so normal mm -hmm. to always like have spirits with you and talking and um I remember when my godmother would channel when she would when, when she would channel her guides and um she she worked in a very culturally specific way she was Cuban and she uh identified as a spiritist but what she was practicing was a form of 
santeria a form of okay um, that's what i thought yeah like it's the combination of uh african yoruban african practices that came that they brought with them when they were stolen uh during the slave trade and mm -hmm. meshed with catholicism and you know indigenous practices that were here in the americas as well so you see a lot of use of smoke and that's why she always smoked um but she would channel her guides and and um every time that was happening and we were in the house i always knew i always knew because i felt it mm -hmm. i felt it in my body and there were times when i had to take all my rings off and all my jewelry off because my body would swell up mm, it would just completely swell up i could my body could not handle the intensity of of all that energy or it would feel like a brick someone put a brick on the top of my head and so part like I somehow I was sinking down inside of myself mm. um so I'd had these very real physical experiences and I think that was the first time that I really felt connected to trans mediumship personally um but otherwise I was just seeing all of these things going on she was an incredible tarot card reader as well um she was healing people I've I've had the experience of being healed with a hug mm. like and her son did this like her children are also quite gifted. Um, I, I was sick. For, I was out of school for three days because I just could, I had such a bad stomach bug and I couldn't move. I couldn't even stand up straight. And I forced myself one day to go to school and because um, I had to be part of some club or something. And I thought I, I, I missed too much school. I got to go. I got to go. And we all walked to school together in the mornings and I had to stop and like hang on a pole, mm. <laughs> bend over. I was so, so sick. And he just came and he grabbed me and he gave me the biggest bear hug. And I was like, oh, don't do it, don't do it. And then when he let me go, it was all gone. I was wow. totally fine. Wow. I was totally fine. And I didn't even realize what he did. I was like, oh, I feel better. Let's go. So yeah, so there were like all these weird things would, would always happen. And and that was just so normal. It was just so normal for my for my adolescence. So I grew up, I was raised by her guides. So, you know, after a certain amount of time as I was growing up, obviously, like, there were things that started to happen, things I started to see that also were not so great. And I started to recognize that the, my own dependence on her was hindering me. And I decided, I think around my early 20s, that I was going to, that I had to go, that I had to go, I had to sort of turned my back on all of this. I had to let all of this go. My godmother, who was my mother, the, the guides who were like parents to me, um, my, they were the, everything. They meant so much to me. I had to, I had to grow up and I had to let them go and I had to become my own person. Um, and my godmother did the best thing she could for me, which was that she let me go, mm. even though it hurt her very much as well. We were so close. Mm. Um, this is a really crazy story. So before I left, my godmother right before I took a trip to Florida with her daughter which is where her family was from and um we went to the house that her aunt lived in and her aunt was apparently an even bigger medium than my godmother and I was like I I couldn't I never got to meet her unfortunately but apparently she was my godmother's mentor so we were in her house and um I'm with her daughter and her daughter is like just looking rifting through 
drawers and stuff. And she comes across this book. And the book is called um, El Evangelio Según el Espiritismo. So it's the guide, the gospel according to spiritism. And it's a book by Alan Kardec. It's, I believe, the second book in his, he's got a series of five books. And um, it's the first time that I start to understand that there is something written about mediumship mm -hmm. or spiritism. I got so excited. We bring this book back to New York. And of course, my godmother's thrilled to have it back. And I'm telling her like, oh my God, I'm so interested in that. What's it about? And I was just about to leave for college. I went all the way to Arizona and she gives me this book. And I'm like, I'm gonna eat up this book. So the book is written in Spanish and it's like, I don't know how many decades old. <laughs> and I'm, I really quickly came to realize I'm, I don't understand anything in this book. <laughs> like my <laughs> Spanish is not that good. <laughs> so I'm like sitting there and I'm going, oh, I can't read this book. Oh. I can't like this key to the everything to the universe. Like <laughs> I can't get it. And so I was, and I was so upset. And you have to remember, this was like, this was 1997. There was no Amazon. There was no Google. Uh -huh. There was barely any AOL. Like it's like, I had to, I had no, no one had their own computer. You went to like the computer lab right. at school to write your papers. So I had to just put it away. I had to put this book uh. down and let it go. A few months later, I am back in school and I'm back in my routine. I meet with a friend of mine every day. We go to class, we meet up for lunch and we have lunch together and we play pool together at like the student union, the student center. We love to play pool. We did it every day. And one day she calls me and she's sick and she can't come. I'm like, okay, no problem. I'll just go by myself. I have no, no problem playing by myself and practicing my shots by myself. So, and that's what I did. So I'm at the pool hall and I'm by myself and I become aware of this guy walking across my, my view and walking down like this row of arcade games. And I get this like inspiration of, you know, hey, go, go talk to him, go invite him to play. And I think nothing of it. I ignore it and I just keep playing. And it just kept getting stronger and stronger. And then all, I, I got angry at one point and I said like, no, I'm five feet tall female from the Bronx. I look like I'm 13. We don't go up to randos and ask them to play with <laughs> us. That's not, that's so against my grain. Why am I thinking this? Why is this thought coming into my head? Obviously it was spirit, but I didn't recognize that. Mm -hmm. And then I see that this guy kind of walks away and I, and I think for a second that he left and I'm filled with this sense of loss this intense sense of loss. Like I just lost out on something. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm so confused. What is happening? He walks back in and that elbow is in my ribs. And it's like, this is your chance. And I'm like, fine, fine. And I throw down my, my cue stick and I go over to this guy, this random person. And I slap him on the back and I say, hey, want to play? And he comes and he starts playing with me. We get to talking, we become immediate friends. And, and I ask him like, so like, where are you from? What, what religion are you? And he says, he's Brazilian and he's a spiritist. I'm just, I'm floored. I'm like, 
I can't believe I came across the world, like across the country from New York to Arizona to meet that I randomly meet this, this guy who's a spiritist. And then I say, oh, so, you know, by the way, I had this book. I had this book and I couldn't read it because it was in Spanish. Do you know if these books are available in English? He says, yeah, my father's on the team of translators that's currently translating all of those books from the original French into English. Do you want one? Wow. 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 Beautiful. Oh, God. <laughs> that is like. That Thank you, from, God. From that moment on, I was like, there is absolutely no no doubt in my mind that spirit is real, that that they are like if is as if everything I went through with my godmother wasn't proof enough. So I got my hands on these books and I ate them up. And I absolutely loved and fell in love with spiritism. Um, it's really a, an interesting and wonderful um framework and and religion. Uh, if they want to call them that. Some people don't like that, but um, it is one, it, spiritism was um, evolved out of spiritualism, I later learned uh, in the 1800s in France. And it, you know, they believe in spirit. They believe in the survival of spirit after death and they believe in the communication with spirit. Um, so mediumship is uh, very big there as well. And when I came back to New York, and I was no longer part of my godmother's circle, I found a spiritist group in New York. Luckily, okay. I finally did have internet access where I could search and uh -huh. found a, a, a spiritist group. And that's when I first started practicing and developing transmediumship. It was with them. Okay. Um, they are a very particular, uh, they have they have their own way of working. So they're they hold mediumship in it's very sacred to them, right? They they don't they practice their mediumship in very closed circles. In order to get into these circles, you have to do like a training program, you have to go to classes. So again, my scientific mind was really loving the the teaching and the the content and the coursework. Um so everyone who comes into these circles understands the mechanics of what's going on, what's expected of them, the role of every person, and what the function is, what the purpose is. And, and we called it rescue work. Mm. And so it was a circle where you had your mediums who were bringing through suffering spirits, spirits who had passed on, who were still, I don't want to say stuck, but they were still working through something and they needed some help to keep going. Um you had your counselors in the circle who were there to counsel the the spirit once the medium was connected to that spirit, helping them, you know, to understand that they're they're okay, that they're not alone, things like that. You had your group leader, your circle leader, you had your healers in the circle who uh, provided sort of like kind of like hands-on healing or Reiki healing to the medium as they're channeling. So mm. it gets to the spirit as well. And then there are also your support. Like uh, people are part of circles who they may not be mediums themselves or working as mediums, but they're they're there to provide energetic support. Um, and it was such a beautiful experience. And it was the very first time that I was able to be in um, a, a circle for that explicit purpose. And it was the first time that I had my own experiences of of working in trance and 
and again, it's something that I I understand when people, I'm such a skeptical person. I understand when people don't believe it, but the fact that it's such a physical, there's such a physical reality tied to that and such a physical experience, it's undeniable to me. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was able to bring through spirits that were, you know, that, that, that suffered, maybe they had painful deaths, maybe they were just confused. Um, And, and, and it was a really wonderful experience. They, they have produced some incredible mediums as well. People like Chico Xavier, um, people know about John of God, which is controversial now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they, it's, you know, they, they are, are very prolific as well. They've produced a lot of written works around spiritism and, and anything related to spiritism. So it's very big there. Um, Did you experience any, um, uh, psychic, uh, surgery like John of God? No. And I would not let, (laughs) I would not let anyone touch me. (laughs) Did you ever, you (laughs) never saw any of it or, or heard any talk of it? No, the healing that we worked with was energy healing. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that was about it. Um, I do. I did meet someone though who did go to see John of God, who had mm-hmm. a really nasty car accident. He went like three times, and is completely healed, and mm-hmm. did go through the psychic surgeries. I too know. I know some people who had incredible experiences with John of God. So, whatever controversy exists doesn't take away from the gifts and the experiences that it, that were had. It, it reminds me of my godmother because it's it. it it brings to mind to me the danger of so much power. Mm. When we think of mediums and mediumship as this mystical, magical beings, we endow them with this power that they just don't deserve mm. and that they can't, they can't handle. They're still human. Uh-huh. Right? And so yep. when we give so much power to these humans, we corrupt them. Mm-hmm. Yep. We corrupt them Yep. with our credulousness, with our magical Indeed. thinking. Yeah our dependency on that and so I, I I think of people like John of God and I absolutely believe as victims I you know I don't yep. um I I have no question that that those stories are real it's just it, it's it's the danger that as mediums we all need to heed that we can't let people think of us as special we can't let people think of themselves as special just because they're mediums we're all still human and we all need to stay humble um, because it, there's a lot of danger that comes with, with that, with oh, all yeah. that power. So, yeah. so I left spiritism because it was super Catholic, you know, they would, <laughs> they would, they would do things and say things like, we're going to pray for the aborted fetuses and their spirits, you know, and things like yeah. that. But there'd be no mention of the mother who had mm-hmm. to go through that, you know, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of thing. There was like this misogyny there that was going on. So I had to get out of there. And That's I still carry, yeah, it is too bad. I still carry all those precepts and all the, you know, the things that I love about it, but I, I couldn't in good conscience stay there. Um, and then I think that's when I really started to focus more on my career and becoming a therapist. So I was already somewhat developed as a trans medium starting my therapy. And I asked spirit to guide me and I asked spirit to help me make that transition to use my mediumship for the healing of my clients and um, for inspiration to help me help my clients. Um, so I think 
there, this is where we start with the overlaps of being a therapist and being a medium, right? First mm-hmm. and foremost, you're doing it to help people. Mm-hmm. So the mission is one and the same. Uh, another overlap is that you are the instrument of helping people, whether you're sitting as a therapist and you're listening to someone and you are digesting what they're saying and you're reflecting that back to them and helping them metabolize that, you're using yourself very much in many ways to help the client. And in mediumship, obviously you're using yourself to bring through whatever needs to be said or needs to be heard. There's also so much that occurs in the therapy room that is kind of psychic. And we have all these like, technical terms for it like transference and countertransference and intersubjective you know stuff that's happening transmissions of information um which as you know as a psychic or as a medium you can also understand how that works if the mechanics of mediumship is that your spirit blends your energy blends with the energy of another being and in that blending in that in that um overlap is the transmission of feeling and and sense and you know uh, sensory information and, and energy as well then your brain could process that transmission whatever gets transmitted from spirit and that's exactly what's happening in the room with the client right uh-huh. they're telling yep. a story and i am i am having my own experience i am seeing my own uh picture in my mind of what they're telling me i am listening to the subtle sub the, the, the subtext of what they're saying and I'm trained to listen for certain things but I'm also just allowing myself that sensitivity to just take in experience them as they're talking to me and then relate that with my instrument my brain my associations my memories and 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 then and then be able to have my own experience with it and give that back, relay that back to them. Do you, do you have any clients who are aware that you are a a medium and do you, are you able to use that as well in sessions or do you keep it completely separate? I have always kept my two lives very compartmentalized. Always. Um, There is, you know, fear of having my credibility be questioned by the academic community, the scientific community, if I come out as a medium, this this is totally like my coming out, official coming out. Um, yay, congratulations. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, yeah, there there does need to be a boundary there. So I, I, you know, I let people know you're not, I'm not being, I'm not giving a mediumship reading, right? I'm not going to sit here and be like, so I feel like I have your grandfather with me and he's <laughs> telling me to <laughs> tell you to knock it off. Um, but I wonder if, I wonder if there is a world though, in which that could be possible, you know, somehow in some way that would require a very gentle hand to, to bring into reality, your hand, perhaps, um, you know, to, to be able to combine the two, which is, which is actually why I, I mentioned Jung, you know, I, I think he did that as much as is humanly possible. You know, for the most part, he was not um, at all open about his esoteric side. He wrote things. He wrote the Red Book, which was his experience of going into his subconscious and creating active imagination, which meant that he was having, you know, conversations with his subconscious. But he didn't talk about this openly 
at all with the scientific community. Only at the end of his life was he more open about it. But still today, most people aren't aware how much of a mystic he was, even though, like I said to you before, he uh, would he called people who said he was a mystic idiots. He would say, if someone calls me a, a mystic, they're an idiot. But he was a mystic, okay? You know, re read his stuff. So I, I, wonder if, I wonder if it is possible to find a way to that if the two could be combined or is that not interesting to you it's super interesting I feel like that's been my latest leg of this journey has been trying to figure out how to stop compartmentalizing my my reality so much um but it's tough I mean yeah, yeah. we have other things to consider like legal liability yeah. and insurance fraud and things like that yeah. <laughs> and lawsuits um, so there's, there's a, there's a sobering, uh, amount of circumstances that make this not possible, but I think there are ways that people are making it possible. Um, I, I was telling you before about like a, someone I've learned that someone is using EMDR and adapting EMDR to help, uh, people with complicated grief um communicate with their past loved ones oh, through right. automatic writing um and and it's and it's wonderful and it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're going to talk to your loved one but that you can work through your grief by incorporating both EMDR and a a, a spiritual a, a medium mystic way of working mm -hmm. um so it's really interesting um what was what was the movie that you told me about that is about that oh, gosh I you know I have to look that up I don't remember now the it's movie okay. it's it's a movie that's a documentary that they're yeah. they're fundraising right now to try to get it on PBS um about this topic right about EMDR yes, and, and it's about it's called induced after death communication okay um is is the modality that that is that has been created through this I just wonder if you if you could then, okay, so you would, you would separate, you wouldn't work through whatever hospital or whatever umbrella you work under and, and incorporate it there. Maybe you keep that completely scientific, but I wonder if as a medium, if you were, if you were going to pursue that, if you could incorporate it and really make it a, a part of your mediumship, you know, I, as a therapist and a medium, this is what I can do. And I don't know how you would package it, but you know. What, I mean, I, I think right now what I can do is I can say, I'm a therapist who also understands mediumship. I also understand these like occult, uh, you know, religious practices or uh, spiritual religions mm. and, and belief. Like I can, that yes. I have that knowledge. So someone who's practicing within those those circles can come to me and know that they can tell me whatever and I'm not judging them. Right. And that, that in and, in and of itself is incredibly healing. That, and, and it's a goal, it's gold because it makes me think, um, I was, I went through some incredible challenges about 10 years ago, just incredible emotional loss and was, um, connected to this wonderful, wonderful therapist, Dale Daly, just the, the most generous person who saw me once uh, I told him, I told him what was going on with me. He recognized my need for assistance at the time. And, um, but I didn't have the money or the insurance to be able to continue to see him. And he agreed to see me. He saw me for a year for free. And this wow. was a, a very successful, busy 
guy, you know, and he took the time to see me. And then finally, as I started to find my feet and, you know, didn't really, I, I just needed to find someone who could see me on a regular basis, but I wasn't in a needing place. You know, he, he said, I was like, for so long, I was like an infant that he needed to hold and he couldn't put down, but you know, now it was, it was probably okay for him to put me down and allow me to find someone else. So gently, you know, uh, he did it, but as he was helping me, I was like, I'd really like someone who has a spiritual focus, who I can really talk to about what I've gone through in the past year, because I had some incredible openings during that time that were inexplicable to most people, to scientists. You know, it, it was just impossible for them to be able to have the conversation that I needed to have about my experiences. So I was like, someone who has a spiritual bent would be great. And he really being as great as he was really couldn't help me find someone who had that kind of focus. You know, it's probably yeah. different now. It's been some, it's been a little bit of time. So I'm sure there's more, but that is a gold mine for someone like me, who's in that situation, who would like understanding, yeah. you know, compassion and belief, frankly, not, not the need to turn the spiritual experience into uh, a metaphor, you know, it, right. just allowing it to be what it is. You know, th this is not always a metaphor. Sometimes it is. Most right. of the time it truly isn't. So to have- Or or not a delusion. Right. I mean, I don't even, <laughs> if somebody tried <laughs> to suggest that I, that I was deluded, I'd be like, okay, have a wonderful day. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, exactly. but, but I do understand the, the gentle need to be like, well, maybe that out of body experience you had in your meditation was a metaphor for something that you need to look at inwardly. And potentially that's part of it, but it, but it certainly is not all of it. And it would have been helpful to have someone who, and this of course is not a, a spurt, you know, to talk against him. He was wonderful, but just to have somebody who could truly have the conversation and not be afraid to go there would be wonderful. Right. So, yeah. Right. And, 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 and I, you know, there's moments when I, I'm in my therapy space and, and with my therapy hat on and, and I'm with clients and I do feel you know, inspired to say, say this, not that, right? Or, mm -hmm. or I'm trained to say this at this point, but something's telling me not to, mm -hmm. right? Or I feel like I, I like, or I, I get information and I say, I feel like I need to say to you this, that, or the other. Um, so even if the client doesn't know, mm -hmm. I, 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 I do use that inspiration. I do use the support from my guides to, to guide my my performance in the therapy room mm -hmm. um but having said that i do think that there is a really important need for big boundaries here mm -hmm. right big boundaries so mediums who are also inevitably counseling their yeah. clients right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if they're not trained to do that they could actually do more harm than good and I think this brings me to the other big parallel between being a therapist and a medium which is that for both in order to be good at either you have to be able to tell the difference between you and the other uh-huh so as a medium you have to be able to tell the difference between what is being trans transmitted to you from spirit and what is your own bias because you're using mm -hmm. your own brain to interpret that information. Mm -hmm. You know, what is your, where your ego comes in and it comes in a lot, especially mm -hmm. for if you're developing, if you're early on, like you're, you are mostly ego. Mm -hmm. um, 
and with as, as therapists as well, right? We have to be able to meet the client where they're at. We need to put our egos aside and just listen and just, you know, be with the client. And we have to be able to tell the difference when we're having an experience, an internal experience that is that coming from me or is that coming from the client? Is the client communicating something to me in this nonverbal way? So they're, they're, they're doing things to make me feel a certain way. And that's a form of communication. That's letting me know how they're feeling, but I have to be able to tell the difference between that. Yo, mm-hmm. These are not my feelings. This is mm-hmm. the client's feeling. They're projecting that or they're, it's projective identification. Again, we have all these really fancy terms for things that are quite natural or very much part of the psychic experience mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, if you consider that that you the the biggest task the main task is to remove ego and to be able to decipher the difference between you and the other then being a good therapist and being a becoming a better therapist makes me a better medium mm-hmm. and being a better medium makes me a better therapist mm-hmm. but be working on myself and everything that I do for my own personal spiritual growth or my own personal mental health or my own personal psychological well-being, all the work I do to build insight, everything that goes into knowing thyself makes me both a better medium and a better therapist. Mm-hmm. And a more peaceful person as well yes. to, to be able to distinguish between also not just what is what is me and what is the other but what is mine and and what does not belong to the other do you know what i mean as in my my own experience of a thing really often i think all the time has nothing to do with what was done to me what was done right. to me was the catalyst for it and that doesn't make what was done to me right if it was a hurtful thing but it it really has nothing to do with my experience of the thing you know, my, my experience of, of one thing will be completely different than your experience of that thing, which proves that it's not about the action outside of it. It's about our own experience of the action outside of it. It's our relationship with it. Right. Healing is about changing how we relate to our experiences. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Beautiful. Yeah. And, um, so when you, when you made, and, and if this is getting too personal, of course, no need to continue with the topic, but when, when you made the, when you parted with your godmother, was there, and no need to, for detail, if you're not, if you don't want to share, but was there, um, was it a traumatic parting? Was there, was there deep loss there for you? Was it a suffering? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Was yeah, there, it was and, not easy. And there was grief that resulted Tremendous. from it. Yeah. For both yeah. of us. I'm sure. Yeah. And it, it just sounds like another example, like, like I said in the beginning about, about Jung and his experience of the parting from Freud and, and any parting, you know, my, the, the real catalyst for me were, were two incredible health, uh, you know, life threatening losses and a divorce all within the period of mm-hmm. a year, just incredible, incredible loss that were culminated with the divorce and it was just grief beyond measure. And that's what opened me to all of the things that came after. And so it just seems like such a common, um, a common thing, a ripping open of things before. Absolutely. The, right. Isn't that We have incredible? a fancy term for that too. What's that? In psychotherapy. It's called ego death. 
Uh, right. That, that, that's not just a term in psychotherapy anymore either. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a term in psychedelic therapy as well. Yeah, <laughs> as well. yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. To take, to take the mysticism out of it is just, yeah, we, we have these, these crisis points mm-hmm. that force us to rearrange or to rewrite all the scripts that we have. Like we, mm. our egos are all these scripts and these roles and these mm. ideas that we have about ourselves and the world and our role in the world. And we go through these, these situations, these experiences that, that rattle all of that. It shakes mm-hmm. all of that. And so mm-hmm. sometimes, yeah, it, it, it all has to come coming. It all has to come down like a, like a house of cards. It just and all has to be. Well, it feels like death. It feels like death. Because it's that that little baby protector called the ego, that sweet little ego that is really just here to keep us alive. Just gets a little overactive, unfortunately, but you know, it's here to keep us alive. It's our little guard. You know, I had an experience of my ego once where I saw him as a little tiny um, elf and he was guarding this little patch of grass, this like brown dead patch of grass <laughs> with this little tiny fence around it. He was yelling and he had a staff and he was just this nasty little thing protecting really kind of nothing, you know, just this <laughs> patch of nothing. But, but, you know, it, it feels like death because all of a sudden we're not, it, it feels our ego and every part of us feels like we're not going to survive because we no longer have those protections around us to, yeah. to remain alive. Absolutely. When, when the house of cards falls, you have a chance to rebuild it bigger and better. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is the goal. That is hopefully what happens when you have the right supports around you lucky. when crisis hits. Right. When, uh, when, when you have everything that you need to do that. And if not, you know, then that's, you know, that can also be a sticking point that can really, it could be harmful. It's not to say that you will actually die. It's a psychological annihilation. It's a psychological death, but, but how you rebuild that house of cards, um, you know, may or may not be more or less adaptive. Right. And, and also is probably going to be reflected in the way you respond to what you view as the catalyst of your loss. So, you know, rather than, I I was just so lucky. I, when, when I was going through that, I, I, and I can say this with full honesty, you know, I, I just really tried to see my own role in it. Didn't, um, lash out, didn't, didn't do any lashing out or any blaming. Well, I, I blamed, but, but I, I didn't, you know, I, I blamed because I didn't want what was happening and, and my ex-husband did, but, but, you know, I, I was able to really forgive him immediately for what I saw as my own loss, not, not for what he did. He didn't do anything, but forgive him as in different, right. Forgive him as in recognize that how I was feeling had nothing to do with him, even though it didn't really seem it at the time to me that it had nothing to do with him. It didn't. And so in, in that process, I was able to shed all of that and, and let it become a part of my, the wholeness of me and then open to God, open to spirit, open to the great spirit, let, let it all come through as opposed to being mired down by attack and revenge and, you Mm -hmm. know, gain and protection. I wasn't, I didn't do any of that. And I was so lucky. It had nothing to do with me or it did have to do with my support systems, but it didn't have anything to do with, with anything except the fact that I was very fortunate to have responded that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a huge amount of privilege that comes with having people who love you around you, having networks, 
mm-hmm. uh, and just resources to 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 access therapy. So I mm-hmm. I kudos to Dale Daly. Dale Daly and the Dalai Lama. You know, I'm yeah. I'm not <laughs> I'm I'm not a Buddhist by any stretch, but I uh, I found I came across a book in the library at the time. Uh, becoming enlightened, I think it is. And it's, it's just a basic, you know, one, two, three step to what Buddhism is written by the Dalai Lama. Uh, and so it really helped me through it. It really helps me find compassion. It helped me to embrace meditation again, helped to open everything within me. So also thankful to, to him yeah. and that modality. <laughs> yeah. I had, a, I had a stint with Buddhism for a while there too. And uh, yeah. that it made a huge, it still makes a huge impact. I absolutely love Buddhist philosophy and thought. Me too. Um, Me too. How can you not apply it when, when you're, yeah. when you embrace spiritualism at all, how can you not apply that aspect of it? Completely. But I would not, again, I would never say I'm a Buddhist because I don't practice in the way that a true Buddhist practices, right? Practices, right. right. But right. What's interesting though, I'm thinking back about this idea of like, it's a crisis point that catapults a spiritual awakening or or journey I think that's I think that's often true and again I think it's it's because when you're in that ego depth cycle you you need something to hold on to you need a container for all that anxiety and all that existential angst um and it's a really adaptive thing to do it's a it's a it's a very uh pro-social and productive way to do it Mm um I'm thinking about the loss of my godmother at that time. And actually the the reason why I was able to walk away was because I I honestly believed that at some point, obviously we all pass. And upon her passing, I would be reunited with her and I would be able to resume a relationship with her upon mm. her passing. Mm. And I had to wait 20 years. Mm. <laughs> she passed away last year. And I've had more conversations with her in the last year than I have in 20 years. I think she came through, didn't she? Didn't she come She's through? She's come through a couple of times. Yeah. Yep. She, she comes through every chance she can get mm-hmm. in, in any time I'm in a different circle. So she, she definitely has made herself known. She has made herself known to me mm. just, you know, um, and, and she's kind of this whole different person now, but but yeah, I I really rejoice in the fact that I have her in my life again and I have a relationship with her again. Unbelievable. And and yeah, of course she's a different, you know, person because she, she's lost all of that baggage, right? She's not carrying that the suit anymore. She's not working with the same tools. She's free. So really her the the truth of her is you. The the what mm-hmm. comes through to you is actually it's her, but it's you. It's your projection of of what she is now and so of course she would be uh uh different and you know the idea of spiritual awakening at the crisis point as you would put it is is one thing and i think that's a very common thing but yeah. what what interests me is the abilities and gifts that grow out of that that's where i think it becomes incredibly uh it becomes mystifying um, is, is what, what is it about those crisis points that open? And I, and we've talked about this before. I, I think you need to already have a toe in that world 
for it to happen. I don't think it just happens usually. I mean, I'm sure it does, but not regularly. It doesn't happen that you go through this crisis, you have this awakening, this this growth spurt, and then these these abilities come through. I I think you do have to have a footing in the spiritual world beforehand, but still, what is it about that pain and that, I guess it's just the opening, the opening to your version of God, the opening to your version yeah. of the great spirit. It's, it's, it's that, it's that seeking. It's mm -hmm. the seeking, the connection. It's the seeking of that thing that is greater than you, that you just instinctively know to be there. Mm -hmm. And it's opening up to that. Mm -hmm. Like I need help. Just even, even in life, when we just open up and just say, I need help, mm -hmm. then you open up all these doors, all these new relationships and all these new opportunities. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, whether it's, whether it's because, you know, those ego deaths allow for a rewiring of the brain and a, and an opening up of, of one's heart, or it, it, it really humbles us as well. Mm -hmm. It humbles us to boy, ask oh for help. Yeah, it tears and, and, us down. And that that loss humbles you. Just the loss itself. Hum if you're, I guess, if you're lucky, if if you're not lucky, it doesn't humble you. It hardens you. But if you're lucky, the loss humbles you. And then you're humbled by asking for help. And then, yeah, all of the precious gifts come through. It sounds like you never really went through a period though where you were not in some way pursuing your spiritual gifts. It sounds like, I mean, you you said that you did get into a scientific frame of mind where you weren't quite as uh, interested in or open to the the spiritual, but that it doesn't sound like you ever really had too much of that, right? You were pretty much always in yeah, it. it it wasn't that I closed the door to it. I just asked for it to, I asked to work differently with it, mm, which okay. was to then just, you know, get me through my studies and help me, you know, with, with my practice, with my clients and, and, and being a good therapist. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was, it's always, it's always in my heart. It's always been a big part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm only now really realizing how hurtful it's been for me to have kept them so compartmentalized, even mm -hmm. though it was probably a good thing, but yeah, it also, it also, I think has done some, some harm for, for me to not be able to try to link them, to, you know, or bring them together early on. And that's, on. that's a societal burden. It's, I, I just watched a documentary called As She Is about the divine feminine and embracing the feminine in society and how, especially in the Western world, we're really stuck in the masculine. And I think we're growing out of that. I think that what happened in 2017 was a, was a great awakening of the divine feminine and that we're, we're moving toward it, but we're still locked in the masculine. And so these, these compartmentalizations and these separations of, of what is intuitive and what is scientific are still required in order to survive in this, in this environment. And until we can let go of the fear of, of, being kicked out of the campfire circle, you know, we, we are going to continue to do that until we begin to embrace both the, the feminine and the masculine. Um, so, so I don't think it's, I don't think that you really have a choice in the matter at this point, unless you were to completely close the door on the scientific side of yourself and totally pursue the, the, intuitive. right. Which I'll never do. Right. You, you love I, it. I, I, well, I love it. And it's, it's because 
I, I mean, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't you need do, them. Right. I wouldn't do my spirituality that disservice. Right. Yeah. Like I said, like I really, what I valued most about some of the teachings that I picked up along the way with spiritism and with spiritualism is, is this demystifying of all of this. It's, it's not, it's not magical. It, you, we need to stay grounded as we approach this. And so I'm, I'm always very skeptical still. And I'm, I'm very skeptical when people give me readings. <laughs> I'm skeptical of when I give readings. It's, it's never ending, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I think the pursuit is to become less skeptical. One of one of the reasons before I became a working medium, I I just I pursued mediumship because I needed to because it's always been an enormous part of my life and and I asked you about whether you would ever close the door to it because I did for for a long time I was surrounded by atheists and I still believed in 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 ghosts, you know, quote unquote, and I went on ghost tours and was still curious, but because I was surrounded by atheists, it was laughed at. So there there was no real opportunity to discuss it with anyone. So I kind of just said, okay, door closed. And I think that's part of the reason why I had this explosive experience later on, because it just was not going to work for me to close those doors. Those doors are meant to be open. When when those doors really open like racehorses and the, the gifts started coming through, I only pursued it in number one, the hopes of being able to understand it. And number two, to be able to read, for instance, um, autobiography of a yogi and truly believe, this is just an example, that that Yogananda and his guru and his, and his fellow, you know, his his mate were sitting in the woods and the palace came around them and they were truly in that palace for 24 hours and came to in the woods in the same spot with no palace around them. <laughs> I, I want to believe that. I, I know that that Yogananda is not giving a metaphor there. I, I know that Yogananda is telling it, the truth. That is a story that happened, but my mind is limited. And so it's really tough for me to be able to fully embrace that as having happened. And I want to get to the point where I do, where I, where I can embrace that as having happened. So that was another reason why I began to pursue uh, my spiritual gifts was because I want to get to the point where I do believe everything. Of course, there's there needs to be the inner critic and there needs needs to be some level of of discerning what's what's true and what's not. I, I realize that, but I also think it's important to be willing to be open to all things, you know, to be fully open to all things and then discern as they come through and put some aside and put others aside, but to be able to to fully embrace Yogananda's story you know well I, I I definitely agree with what you're saying I mean I think I I make a little difference between like skepticism and doubt mm-hmm. or nerve nerves I think that's really what gets you know it's that's the hardest part for mediums but it's like you, you want to be skeptical you want to be discerning you you don't want to be credulous um there's danger in that I think in in that in in being too eager to believe things but at the same time you don't want to be so rigid that you block possibility that you limit what spirit can do for you because you're you just can't conceive of it so that that's my goal is learning how to main you know how to keep my or manage my skepticism negotiate my skepticism with my my wanting to be open and allow spirit to do all the amazing things that spirit does that i can never know well annabelle this has been such an incredible conversation. I am, 
I had so much fun and I hope you'll come back and we can talk more and maybe we can get more Absolutely. into, maybe you'll go watch a documentary and we can get more into Carl Jung. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to have to go take. research Carl. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, some this of is his, great. Some of his literature is, it, it's tough to, it's very dense. It's very, very dense, but it's worth it. Like the red book. I haven't read um, seven sermons, but I'm going to, I think it is probably very interesting, but anyway, um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. And thank you very much. Now, is there any um, kind of uh, website or anything like that that you want to share for our lovely viewers if they want to get in touch with you in any way? So I don't have a website. I've, I've stayed very low key with my public persona, but I do have a profile on psychology today if anyone is interested in getting in touch with me through that. Um, and yeah, or, or my email address, I'm happy to share that if anyone needs has a question or something if you want to post my email address that's fine excellent i will do that i will put your full name i'll put your email address and anybody can google psychology today and find you and they will be they will benefit greatly by doing so and to our listeners thank you so much for joining we love you 